I, I went to a Brazilian steakhouse last night. Uh, it was not usually what we do on a Saturday night, but if you've ever been to one, they're amazing, okay? I'm sure there's one that's not amazing, but the one I went to last night was amazing. And if you're familiar with this, they put meat on swords. What could be better than that? Okay, so there's meat on swords, and they <laughs> put them around a, a rotisserie spit, and then it becomes delicious, and they bring it to your table, and they're like, would you like some? And you're like, yeah. Well, they give you a little thing that says green means bring it, red means stop, and you tip, you tip it over when you're done because that's like you died. Okay, so they brought it over. And I was like, bring it, bring it. And so we were, we were doing this. And we did all this for my, for my brother-in-law's birthday. He came up from, from uh, Central Florida up here, or North Central Florida up here. And he was actually playing the Cajon this morning. Uh, a series of events happened. He's from Haiti. And uh, so he was excited to go and eat uh, at this restaurant. He had never been. And we ate, and we ate, and we ate, and we ate, and it was good. Okay. I mean, it was like hallelujah, okay? They brought a drum out and sang to him for his birthday. It was fantastic. It was a really good time. Now, I'm not bringing you that because I know lunch is coming for you. I'm not doing that to make you hungry. What I'm doing that for is, is this. We left that place fully satisfied last night. Like, it wasn't, if you've ever been to some fancy restaurants, you go in there and you, <laughs> you leave, like, oh, look, it's a bite of something. Great. That's exactly, no, they, they, this is not about that. This is about quantity, okay? This is quantity and quality, okay? And so when we left, if we weren't fully satisfied, that was our problem, okay? It was not their problem because they kept it coming. Now, you know what's going to happen at lunch? I'm going to go eat lunch. Okay, even though I ate like a ton of stuff last night, you know what happens? Even no matter how much you eat the night before, the next day at some point you're gonna get hungry again, unless you have food poisoning, right? Okay, but then eventually it'll happen. Okay, am I right? Are, are you? Are you guys, is everybody? Is everybody okay? Like you've you've eaten and then had to eat, we've gotten full, and then, so I was satisfied last night, but then not so much later on because that is over. Now here's what happens in Psalm 32, where we're gonna be this morning. The psalmist says, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed can be translated happy, but ha this is a deeper happy than the happy that we tend to have that is the happy like the Brazilian restaurant. Last night, I was happy, okay, because I had eaten a lot of Brazilian food. But then that happiness will turn into hunger, which will not ultimately satisfy, right? That blessedness that God provides in, God, in Jesus Christ and we see in the Psalms through forgiveness of sins is something that goes beyond circumstantial happiness. It's a true joy. And I want you to get that as we go to Psalm 32 because he says something very interesting. Psalm 32 will be this morning in verse 1. It says, a masculine of David, which is a technical term that nobody really understands, but it means this is a type of song. And it says this, blessed is the one, happy, joyful, eternally joyful, is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, if you would, they are talking about this. So we have some things listed in here, okay? We have the word sin listed, okay? We have the word transgression listed, and we have the word iniquity listed. Those could, uh, there have been great attempts to, to help understand what all those words mean, the nuances of them. But they're all referring to the same thing in three, in three different ways to try to get the point across. Sin is a problem. 
sin, iniquity, transgression, they are three ways to talk about the same thing. And he says, blessed is the one who is forgiven of sin, iniquity, transgression. So he's talking about it in three different ways. And each one of them has a different nuance. To transgress has the idea of trespass, to go over the, like, you know what it means to trespass, right? It says no trespassing. You cross that line into trespassing, and therefore you've now violated that law, and you have gone off course. So then you have another idea of missing the mark with, the, with some of the other words, where you know the, the, the way to go, and then you miss the mark. And here's the thing. When we come to the, to the Christian life and to, to, to knowing who God is, there's been many who have said that we need to divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. If you don't have both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you will not understand the holiness of God, his character, and what sin is. Because in the Old Testament, if you've ever read it, there's a lot of things you should not do. A lot. And that reflects the nature and character and holiness of God. But it also shows us how much we need a Savior and that we cannot be righteous on our own. And so the idea here is sin talked about in different ways. That's our default setting. That's who we are. We're people who sin. We're people who transgress, go over the line. And then also the idea of iniquity is to have sins on your account. It's like to have a record. It's like to have a warrant out for your arrest. See, the other night when I was going, we, we, had, a, we had a good weekend because we were taking my brother and, sis, and sister-in-laws out, and we were having a good time, and we went down to the Grand Ole Opry, and we left at 4.30 to go over to the Grand Ole Opry, okay? That's only 45 minutes. It took us two and a half hours to get there because a tractor trailer on I-40 went, was going eastbound, and it got off course and ended up between the eastbound and westbound lanes, and so it, in effect, cut off all traffic. And people act like absolute morons, they were getting in more accidents. We saw people pulled over. They get out driving on the median. A cop pulled this guy over. Then it turned into a drug thing. And then we saw three or four cars get hit. We were going like a half an inch an hour, and they were hitting each other. And they're getting out of the car. Like, what did you hit me for? I'm like, you. How did you hit? You saw him. We've been sitting here for an hour. What is your problem? That. 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 We see when we, when we come to that situation, that, that, that roadblock in life, that's what sin is like. It's crossing the line. Having, so anyway, if I were, we were in that situation, right? And if I had, let's say I was one of those morons who tapped the bumper of the other car and I had to call the police to come. And I'm going to get in trouble, maybe get a ticket. But what if I have like seven warrants out for my arrest? They're going to let me get back in the car? I don't, by the way. I know you're like, well, let's check his rap sheet. Okay? They did that before I came, so I'm clean. All right? <laughs> Tom, give the thumbs up. It's official. All right? Now you know. All right? So if I, if I, have a warrant, if I hit that car and I have a warrant out for my arrest, what's going to happen? I'm going to go to jail. This idea of iniquity is having a record. And so the, the, the scriptures paint a big picture of what our sin is. Your major problem and my major problem it's not that we don't have enough stuff. It's not that we don't have enough opportunity. It's not that, that we aren't as successful as we'd like to be. It's not that we, aren't we don't fully realize what it means to be human. You know, our greatest problem is sin. Sin separates us from God. And the psalmist has experienced sin and is honest about his sin, and he describes it in three ways, and he talks about it, and, and it's three ways to talk about the same thing to help you understand the nuance of sin. 
It's, tr- it's crossing the line. It's missing the mark. It's all of those things. And so he says, blessed is, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Now, that's cool. So he lists three ways that sin, it says, he talks about it as transgression, as iniquity, and as sin. But he gives three ways that, that counteract, okay, the three sins. There's three ways that forgiveness is shown and cleansing is shown. He says, blessed is the one, in verse one, whose Transgression is forgiven, forgiven, and it's the idea of lifting, the idea of removing. So here's the thing. The one happy as a person, not the temporary happy, but eternally happy in God is the one who has had their sins lifted up off of them as a great weight dragging them down. I remember when I was a little boy swimming in a pool, and uh, it was my, uh, my little league team, and you realize, like, if you are a 7 to a 12-year-old boy, every, when you get together, the number one thing you want to do is wrestle and kill the other person you're with. I mean, that's true. If you have boys, that's the truth, okay? And it's like all, all the time. You be, And then you're going to get at, like, and this is the cool thing about boys. They're going to go too far. It's going to happen when they start wrestling. Then they're going to punch each other and get really mad. And then about five minutes later after they cool off, they're going to be pals again. And they're going to start wrestling again, okay? So I remember when I, am I right? I'm going to get my new mom, uh, boy moms out there, okay? Uh, <laughs> woo, okay? So I remember being, I, I, we were in a pool. I was on a float. Some kid jumped off the side. Like, we had been watching WWE or something, and he, he jumps on me, and I go straight to the bottom, and then a bunch of other people pile on us, and I felt like I was going to die. Do you know why? Not because I couldn't swim, because I had all this weight pulling me down. I did forgiveness is the weight of sin lifted. Blessed is the one, happy, eternally happy is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered, which is the idea of wide out but better. You know, whiteout, okay, whiteout's not used very much anymore. You know why? Because we just put backspace on our phones. But whiteout is, it's, for those of you who have never seen it, it's like white paint that smells terrible that you used to buy to cover over mistakes you made in ink. So you take this out and you dip it and you cover over that which was there before. But here's the idea of this word, the Hebrew idea of it, it's not only to have it be covered over, which you can't see the word that's there anymore, but imagine if the white out actually removed the ink. And that's the idea of sin being moved, removed. Then it says, as blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts or imputes no iniquity, which is the idea of, remember, I get pulled over, the warrants are on my, on my account. But as soon as the cop goes, I said, hey, well, you need to check that again. I had those taken care of. And he goes back to the car and he punches it in his computer. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, all those warrants are, have been terminated. The bench warrants are gone. And there's happiness. Amen. There's happiness to the person whose sin, trans- sin transgression is real. You need to think of yourself in this way. First off, you need to understand that every person on the face of the planet, every human being, doesn't matter race, creed, whatever, you are made in the image of God and deserve dignity and respect, and that's why racism is an evil. Just want you to know that. Every person is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. You need to know that. But also every human is horribly marred by sin and dead in their sin. 
So you need to see yourself as being made in the image of God, but every person needs to see themselves as broken and battered and dead because of sin. And to see yourself any other way will create huge distortions in your life. And the psalmist rightly sees that, and that's, we get that understanding of humanity through the scriptures. The psalmist sees this. He sees sin, but he also sees God's goodness and forgiveness. And he says, oh, how happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man, happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, I'm, I'm camping out. I know you're thinking like, man, we've been camping out on these verses for a while, and he's got 11, you already counted, he's got 10 more to go. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to last forever. I promise you it won't, okay? But at least I hope it won't. Because Here's the thing, you have to get this first part because the whole psalm is based off the first two parts. Everything else is understood through this. And so we see this, it's so great to have your sins covered and cleansed and forgiven for God to do that. That's how great it is. And blessed is the person, verse two at the end of it, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Which means you're not full of deception. Self-deception, deceiving others. We've had a great weekend. I mentioned this again. I know I'm going back to this, but you know sometimes your weekend just kind of like sets the tone for the for the rest of the week. And so we had some some guests, some company come, and you do this, and my wife does this, and everybody does this. When people come over to your house, you run around like a chicken with your head cut off, and you're like, we cannot let it look like anyone has lived here ever. Burn the toilet seats. They can't know we use them. Bleach everything. Get this off the porch. We live like rednecks, Amy. Just accept it, okay? Just throw it out. Throw it in the woods, okay? Just let it be, all right? But she, oh, we got to do this. Have we... Have we done the steam cleaning of the baseboards recently? No, because that's crazy. Have we washed the cabinet doors? No. Why would we do that? Matt, could you, could you put new popcorn on the ceiling? No. Your parents know we live here. It's fine. And it inevitably causes a fight because the guy's like, whatever. And like, it must be clean. We do that with sin. We do everything. We do gymnastics to try to paint our dead corpse. We try to let people think that we're great. Our sin is not an issue. We try to dress it up to justify ourselves even before God. I am not that bad. I've never committed murder. Like, that's this great, <laughs> this great uh, high bark. Like, yeah, I'm a terrible person, but I've never murdered anybody, so God and me are cool. And then Jesus, when he shows up in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes it even harder. He says, no, it doesn't matter if you killed anybody, but if you thought, fool, in your heart. I murdered a bunch of people last night driving to downtown Nashville because I can't drive. I need forgiveness. I don't need to dress up the dead corpse of my soul. I don't need to run around and be like, oh, yeah, somebody's coming. Oh, my gosh, I got to make sure they think I'm spiritual and holy and perfect. And No, the issue is this. How does God see you? 
Are you trying to hide your sin? The psalmist says there's blessedness and forgiveness, not in self-deception. It goes down in verse 3, he says this, For when I kept silent, when I did not confess sins, and he's not talking about how difficult it is when you're convicted. Conviction of sin means you feel the weight and the terror and the terribleness, if that's even a word, of your sin. You see how bigger your, much bigger your sin is than just you telling a white lie. You see it in, in, in the realm of and in light of how holy and good God is. And you're terrified of its consequences and how you've offended God. And then in verse 3, he talks about what it means to not be blessed, to not know forgiveness. And he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And if you've ever had the flu, I want you to get his idea is his bones are wasting away. It's like body aches. Sin can have, especially unconfessed sin, unrepented sin, conviction from God over sin, can, can really rear its head in physical consequences. And he's saying, when I kept my sin and I was trying to self-justify and be right in God in my own way and to not know forgiveness, I wasn't blessed, but I was in agony like I had the flu. My bones were just aching like they were going to crack. Verse 4 says, for day and night... Your, heavy, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So it was like this. His bones were breaking. He felt as if, this is personification, he felt as if God's holy hand was pressing down upon him where he couldn't breathe because of the great weight of his sin in light of a holy God. And day and night he was in agony and turmoil. Now, if that is you and you wandered into our church today, and you're experiencing the great agony of sin, I want you to know something. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, and it is kind of God to make you see sin as terrible. Because often we try to run around and dress our sin up and try to say, nobody can see it. People are coming. Let me hide and clean like we don't live here, like we're not, act like we're not there. But sin and the conviction of sin is a good thing from a good God. And listen, you don't need to be affirmed in your sin. You need to know it's sin. Lust. Greed. Envy. Selfishness. Not honoring your father and your mother. Lies coveting. This don't, they don't need to be dressed up. They're terrible. They bring us down to the pit. And if God's convicting hand is on you, don't try to rationalize it away. But hear this truth, because right here, <laughs> this would not be a top 40 hit, okay? Remember, this is a song. And there's this thing in here, it says, right after verse 4, it says, Selah. When you see Selah, you can understand it as stop and think about it. But likely, given the, given the fact that this is a technical, it would be a term for a song. You know, you had, if you ever looked at music, you know, you got a treble clef and a bass clef, and you got notes, and you got the, the, the bars and the meters and different things. If you don't know music, if you ever, you've probably seen a sheet of music before. 
and all those things mean something. Well, when you see Selah, it means something. And at this point, it could likely mean that there was an instrumental breakdown. I don't know if it was bluegrass sounding. It probably didn't. I don't know what it was like. But it was basically like this, like, listen to these truths, and then I want you to just have a minute of meditation on it before we go to the next thing. So it's blessed to have your sins forgiven, and it's agony to still bear the weight of sin. And then verse 5, and then there's this interlude to get you to think about that. And then verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Note something real quick. The three words for sin are repeated here. So I acknowledge my sin, up in the verse 1, to you. I did not cover my iniquity. Let's use it again. I, I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So here's the thing. He thoroughly confessed his sins, understood by the fact that he mentioned all three forms of sin again. And he said, I confessed them all. The Lord took them and he covered them. I didn't hide them. I let them be known. I acknowledged them. I did not cover them. I let them be known to God. And God forgave me. And so here is the beauty of the faith delivered once for all to the saints in the scriptures. We are not good enough. We can never be good enough. We can never keep the law righteous enough. But there is a substitute, a sacrifice that that completed it, and that we can be forgiven totally because of God. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice, the sacrificial system where they kill lambs and goats, which would make church a lot more uncomfortable than it is now, okay? Because if you imagine walking up here and we're like slashing doves and dumping the blood on stuff, you'd be like, this is the worst church I've ever been to, and rightfully so, because that sacrificial system, which was meant to cover over sin, was appointing to Jesus the once-for-all sacrifice that would cover sin. And so here's the thing. The psalmist is getting at this. Don't try to hide your sin. Nobody, don't be like when somebody comes to your house and you're going, let's clean like nobody lives here. The idea the psalmist is getting at Someone calls to come over, and you just let the house be like it is. Let the faucet drip. Let the stuff stay on the porch. You don't cut the grass. Don't pick up your underwear. Leave the dishes in the sink. And you even tell them about it. Hey, look, I got some water damage under the sink. Hey, we have ants that come in sometimes. Look, they get in through here. I'm too lazy to do anything about that. Hey, if you go to my house, hey, that's where I step through the ceiling. <laughs> I happened. <laughs> I pointed out, like, look, that's it. This is the dry rot. This is where my kid ran into the wall. The idea is that the psalmist comes and he lays bare everything before God. I acknowledge my sin to you. I don't try to explain it away. Here it is. I did not cover my iniquity. I did not try to hide it. I didn't try to cover it up. I let you know what my sin is. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. God, here's where I've overstepped. Here's where I've missed the mark. Here's where I have, I have in effect, born guilt and rightly deserve your punishment because I have offended you. 
And you would think, that sounds like a terrible plan. It's like <laughs> when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your parents didn't know about it, you didn't go tell them. I told them I've told my parents about it after the fact, <laughs> but you didn't tell them during it. It goes against our inclinations. But that's how good God is and how forgiving God is. He says he confessed it. He laid it all on the table. There was nothing hidden. There was no agenda hidden. He let his sins be known. And it says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then the guitar solo hits in again. Think about it. Selah. You need to just soak that up. If you're truly going to know peace with God and forgiveness... It comes with a complete and utter lack of self-righteousness and an opening up to God that says, here is everything I've ever done. I believe you will forgive this because you've paid a price in Jesus. Then the solo hits. Selah. Think about that. Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, you see the bill? Therefore, because... I confessed, and I was real, and I was honest, and you forgave me. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He says, because, God, I confessed everything and I held nothing back and I just was bare before you and you didn't look on me with anything but love and forgiveness. Therefore, he's encouraging all people who, have, who are godly, who have an ear for God, who have a heart inclined towards God to offer prayers to him that you that you at a time when you may be found. So while you, have, while you have a chance and while you hear the word, turn from your sin and trust him immediately. Because God forgives sin when it's confessed, then go to him immediately. Child of God, go to him immediately. Person suffering with their sin, go quickly to him. Don't wait. Don't wait. Wait till you can get yourself fixed up better. Don't wait till you can make yourself up better. Come to him and pray and, and do that. And so here's what. When you see God as a refuge from, from sin, you come to him quickly and you recognize his deliverance. In verse 7 it says, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is, a, this is a bit heavy about sin, but unless you understand how big of a deal sin is and how great God's forgiveness is, you will not ever worship God like he should be worshiped in your life because you will somehow still see yourself as adding something to your salvation and that God should be pleased with you in some way. You have nothing righteous in you, and neither do I. You have nothing that, uh, w that would, that would <laughs> what could you give God that he doesn't already have? And how can you cover your sin from a holy God if everything is on the table, if he knows it all? How could you do that? You can't do it on your own. So when you see that God is the one that you can come to and be super honest with, and you give him all of who you are, and you confess all of who you are, and he knows it, and he forgives it, 
then you go to him immediately and you make a pattern of when you get off course, you run to him and you confess that so you don't let sin stay in your life like a cancer that will eventually, if you let sin unconfessed and stays in there, it becomes a cancer that will eat you alive. And so you run. And then when you realize the depths of the forgiveness of God because you're real and true and you saw your sin and you saw the holiness of God, then you realize how great it is that he is the deliverer. And you're surrounded by shouts of deliverance. And that your righteousness is secure by him and not you. And then it comes the solo. Selah. Instrumental breakdown. You need to think about that. The tone, a shift in tone happens. There's a little bit of difference in the next verses. Some people think the psalmist is now talking in God's voice. But I think what happens is when you have become forgiven and you have become confident in forgiveness, then you can encourage other people to walk in the way of God's forgiveness because the tone shifts. I think this is the psalmist talking, and now he's confident because he's been thinking about how blessed it is to be forgiven how terrible sin unconfessed is, and how great it is that when we acknowledge and we don't hold anything back, when we come, we bear ourselves before God, that we get a full and outright forgiveness, and we see the deliverance is great, and we sing, holy God, and we get to verse 8. He says, now, because of I, I've seen that, I will instruct you. So he's giving us some instructions. He's got a word for you today. I instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Here, I'm looking at you right now. I want to give you some instructions. Take it from me, from my experience. You've probably heard this before. Somebody who's experienced a difficult thing and they tell you, take it from me. He's telling sinners, take it from me. Verse 9 do not be like a horse or mule. You're like, I got that. Okay, that's good. I won't try to be like that. Without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or will not stay near to you. Don't be like he uses an image of a horse and a mule. I'm going to use the image here to help us understand this a little bit better because most of us aren't dealing with horses and mules. There are some of you that will, I guarantee you, okay? But most of us aren't dealing with horses and mules, but a lot of us have dealt with a three-year-old. All right, okay? <laughs> You've been there, I imagine. When a three-year-old doesn't want to do something, they're going to do everything in their power not to do it. Like nonviolent protests, sometimes violent protests, okay? They're going to lay down, make you drag them, okay? Or pick them up. I know! You're going to drink out of this cup. I don't want that cup! I want a purple one! Boom, okay? Laid out. They're going to swing at you. They're like Tasmanian devils. Cute ones. <laughs> They're obstinate. No. And then when you, want, when you want them to go, they move slow or don't go. And when you want them to stay, they run away quickly towards danger. Like they have some kind of divining rod towards death. But, oh, I mean, what a lie. Oh, no, I got a fork. Oh, I mean, just, the, I'm going to confess this to you. I bought a backpack for my son that looked like a turtle. Dinosaur, that's right, thank you. And it had 
a leash on it. Because <laughs> he's six now, and he's still crazy. When he was two, I mean, jumping on stuff, running towards death, I mean, that was his deal. He would do that all the time. And you, when he would want you, you'd be like, I mean, I wasn't like, come on, son. You know, leaving treats on the ground, my milk bones. That's not what I was doing. But if he would run off, you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you want to judge me, that's fine. I confess my transgressions to the Lord. He forgave me. I'm blessed. So <laughs> don't be like a horse or a mule or a three-year-old without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near to you. Listen to me, the psalmist says. I know sin. I know confession. I know his forgiveness. So don't be obstinate and continue to go your own way. Continue to try to hide yourself. But come fully before him, and don't be like a horse and a mule that tries to go their own way continually. Don't do that. Come quickly to Him. Be quick to pray. Be quick to confess. Be quick to come back. And then He reminds us in verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the ones who trust in the Lord. There was a family, I was in the airport the other day, there was a family of a different faith. And you could tell, it was evident they were of different faith because they had the, the, the clothing of that faith. Now, this family was super sweet. Apparently, there had been some distance between them. I'm piecing this all together from watching people at the airport, and yes, I was people watching at the airport. All right, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it's a, it's a great sport, all right? It's a good hobby. And so they're at the, at the airport, the Nashville airport, and the, the patriarch of the family, I would say the, the older gentleman, he, when the family came across, was so happy to see them. And they hugged each other, and it was this great reunion. And it was actually moving to me. And they were, you know, I didn't tear up or anything. I'm like, what's this weird guy crying at the gate, you know? But I, it, was, it was moving to me. But at the same time, I noticed something, that they were of a different faith. And I believe this, okay? Um, when, I, when it says wicked here, it refers to every person apart from Christ. Okay? And wickedness is not like, sometimes when you hear it called wickedness, you're thinking like of a uh, James Bond villain. Like, <laughs> millions of dollars, I will destroy the world. And that's what you think of when you think of wicked. But all of us have turned and gone our own way, which is a form of wickedness. And as I saw these people embracing them, embracing one another and having this joyful moment, a prayer welled up in me. And the prayer was this, God, would you let these people, these prodigal people, come to you like they came to their dad? Would you let them turn from their sin and their wickedness? And would you let them come home and know the embrace of a good father? And that's when I really started to get emotional. I was really praying for these people. I want them to know forgiveness. And if you've ever experienced true forgiveness, you want others to experience that forgiveness as well. You desire it. You want them to know it. And he says, because he says here in verse 10, he says, 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Those who are in sin and go their own way, there's great sorrow. If they don't experience the sorrow now, they will experience it in eternity for spurning God's grace. There's sorrow now and there's sorrow to come. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. There's great sorrow and wickedness. Go your own way for a while. See how it works out. Try to find fulfillment outside of God in Christ. Try. It's, it's, an, empty, it's an empty task. See the broken, broken lives that, it, that sin brings. Things, see the difficulty. That's not to mean if you're in Christ you don't have these, but you have someone who keeps redeeming you and keeps, and keeps doing great things in you. Who keeps, you keep running to him with your sin and confessing them, and he can get you back up and pick you back up. But if you don't have that, how woeful and sorrowful is your life that you don't know, you don't have that hope? Oh, if you've been forgiven, you want others to know the shouts of deliverance that you know. Then verse 11 caps off this whole psalm. He says, blessed Blessed is the one who has their sins forgiven, their iniquities covered, their transgressions forgiven. Blessed is that person. And then he says, the blessed people who know forgiveness, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, the shout and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, I believe this. This is a call for joy in forgiveness. And I, I've mentioned it, but I want to make sure you get it. All of the scriptures point to Jesus. Every one of them. And Psalm 32 is fulfilled in Christ. Psalm 32 is quoted in Romans chapter 4, which talks about imputed righteousness, which, that, which is this. We're not righteous on our own. If we are to be righteous, it has to come from Christ's righteousness, his perfect keeping of law, imputed to our account. We also know this, and 1 John says it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, God is holy and true and perfect. And in him there's no darkness at all. There's no sin in God. He's holy. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, which is sin, we lie and we don't practice truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleansing is only found in Jesus. Verse 8, but if we say we have no sin and deceive ourselves, we don't want to come clean about it. We want to dress up our corpse or act like few people are coming to visit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, and I hope this washes over you like good, good news. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful because he promised deliverance. And he delivered on it through Jesus. He's just because he doesn't just look over sins. Sin was paid for by Jesus. And when we trust Jesus, he paid for our sins. We have his perfect life on our account. And he took our sin. So if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Our forgiveness is not, I hope God forgives if Jesus is crucified, and he is, if Jesus is raised, and he is, and if Jesus is coming, and he is. Our forgiveness is secure if our faith is in him. And we don't have to try to hide. We don't have to try to pretend like we're better than other people. To Hey, you guys are real religious. No, we just trust Christ. Trust Christ. I have road rage. I'm sloppy. I can have a critical spirit. I can covet and envy. I have too many shoes. Materialistic sometimes. You want to ask my wife, she'll tell you some more stuff. But I don't trust me. I trust Jesus. I don't trust me. I trust Jesus. And I'm blessed not because I'm great. That ain't the case anyway. I'm blessed because my sins have been forgiven. My transgressions have been covered. My iniquity, the Lord doesn't count against me because he's faithful and just. Because Jesus took my sin on the cross. Jesus died for my materialistic heart. Jesus died for my coveting ways. Jesus died for that. He bore it on the cross of Calvary. And now, by faith in him and his once-for-all sacrifice, I'm forgiven and blessed and highly favored by God. And we've let some people who don't see the Bible clearly use that blessed and highly favored to refer to material blessings. Material blessings come and go. But I want to tell you, you're blessed and highly favored. Not like the health wealth guys. You're blessed and highly favored because if you know him because your sins are forgiven. He chose you. He called you. He sanctified you. He justified you. He's, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to be self-righteous anymore. And you don't have to hide your sin. You know why? Your sins are forgiven. And you know what? When you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we run to him. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And when the enemy comes and says, you can't serve here because you are sinful, you say, you're right, but my sin's been paid. You take it up with Jesus, you're going to lose. Because my sins are forgiven. They're covered. Be glad and rejoice. The Lord's steadfast love is available in here. And if you are here today and you don't know him, we don't do big grand altar calls. You know why? We believe in the Spirit of God. And we know this. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse it from all unrighteousness. What did he say? Because the Lord forgives my sin when I, when I confess it, I, then he says, pray to him. So call out to the Lord in prayer. Confess your sins. Trust in the work of Christ, and you will be saved. 